<laughs> hello, hello. I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. You got me. Keep you on your toes. You got me with that one. <laughs> All righty. Well, welcome to 2024. It's our first episode in the new year. Hope you guys had a good New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day. Yes. I think we're good. No business. I, yeah, not really. We took care of a lot of business. We did. Last week. Yes, we did. So so we are recording this on December 16th. December 16th. And the reason I'm saying this is because I want to talk a little bit about how I found this case so that you stay tuned until the end. So here's a little, little okay. teaser. Um, right now it is going viral that this woman was sentenced to work fast food as her sentence for her crime. What? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about it at the end, though. Okay. So. I haven't heard this. Right. Well, I looked into because I was going to cover it, but it, it's there's nothing really to it. So there, it's not long enough for a case. So I'm going to do it at the end. We'll talk about it. But. In the meantime, I was like, oh, I really want to cover like a Karen case or somebody that went viral or like something like that. And so I looked up true crime Karen thinking that like that would work. And I stumbled upon um, the case of Karen Gregory, who was the victim, not the perpetrator. And instantly was just like, OK, I want to talk about this. OK. So that's how we ended up here today. Okay. Um, if you guys listen to also if you listen to Crime Junkies, which most of the world does. They covered it as well. So you may have heard of it. I have not. Well, cool. Then it's new for you. <laughs> it's new for me. Cause I, 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 I personally don't listen to Crime Junkies because I don't listen to a ton of... I have like maybe four to six true crime podcasts that I listen to regularly that I just have listened to forever. I don't, I don't find anything new anymore because it's yeah. hard when you have a true crime podcast and then you're super picky about it. Um, for me, it's not about pickiness. It's that I never want, I listen to other true crime podcasts out of support for right, said podcast, exactly. but I do so strategically because I never want to accidentally copy or yeah, plagiarize, plagiarize, or even like take on too many things from, I agree. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, because that's just. I don't want to have to con consciously mm -hmm. always worry about that. So I listen very strategically. I tend to listen to podcasts that aren't like ours. Yeah, I was going to say most of the true crime podcasts that I listen to are very different than what we produce. Yeah, because for that same reason, too, then it's easier to keep it separate mm -hmm. and not worry that, like, I'm going to make a similar joke that's going to cross a line or... You right. Know, something like that. So which may sound crazy to some people. Other people probably get it. I just always I always think of Beck. Do you know Beck, the musician? Beck. No. I know. <gasps> mm -mm. When I hear the name Beck, you, I think of Beck from uh the show You, which you oh, you no. would hate. Don't I watch know. it. No, we've talked about that. The musician Beck. So for all of us Gen Xers, I'm sure every Gen Xer out there knows Beck, or at least who he is. You've probably heard at least one of his songs without okay. realizing it. Anyway, he's very unique. He's a bit of an eccentric person, but I remember hearing an interview with him once. Of course, musicians, they always ask the question, what other yeah. musicians inspire you? And he said, like, sure, I've been inspired by other musicians, but if I'm in the middle of writing music, I don't listen right. to stuff because I don't want to accident. He said, that's human nature, is mm -hmm. that you're going to take what you hear or see or whatever and then you're gonna yeah makes sense to me put it into your stuff so he tries to steer clear and right. i thought that was very wise i think advice. so too i i do that especially with cases that i'm working on i try not to and if i do it's a podcast that i know well enough to know mm -hmm. what i will take and what i won't take and what's inside jokes and what's not and you know that sort of thing yeah um, but normally what I did, I did do something different with this case. Normally I watch some sort of like news coverage or documentary or like any sort of visual yeah. media that I can find. And this case I actually researched only by written media. So only articles yeah. or opinion pieces or that sort of thing. I, that's just the way that the cookie crumbled on this one. Yeah. 
everywhere I was researching, I wasn't able to or didn't have headphones or I was in traveling or I was in an airport. So I'm not going to play it out loud. And, you know, anyway, so. You told me that you were recently at the airport and heard somebody playing a true crime podcast I out loud. Did. <laughs> so it was a worker at an airport shop and she was listening to some sort of case coverage on something. I said, what are you listening to over there? And she was telling me and I said, well, I have a recommendation for you. <laughs> and I did not tell her it was me. So if you're listening, shout out to you. You made it here. It was me. I self-wrecked and didn't tell you that I was self-wrecking because I got <laughs> nervous. <laughs> pressure on somebody like I don't yeah if you're not gonna, I don't yeah I don't like talking fine. about it either we're so famous I don't, I don't the media it. can't contain it no I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> it was fun yeah I just uh struggle to even share it on social media for some reason it doesn't well I think it's because I'm a gen I'm a gen z it doesn't really bother me mm-hmm. on social media because social media is fake anyway <laughs> it's fine nobody thinks anything of it when I'm promoting on social media but yeah in person I get a little weird like, my boss, she'll go anytime anybody mentions something about crime, she's all over. She's like, she has a true crime podcast with her friend, and it is so good. And I love her for that. That's awesome. Yeah. But it always makes me just, like, really blushy and, like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, you have to apologize. I, yeah. That's a Midwest thing. You don't need to apologize. I'm not from the Midwest. I know. That's what I mean. Oh. <laughs> is that maybe yeah. you're more Midwest than you think. Maybe. But I'm also pretty Southern. Do you say ope? No, but Nicholas does. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, okay. I've been procrastinating because this case is gross. All right. All right. So Karen Gregory was 36 when she was killed, originally born in New York before moving to Pinellas County, Florida. She lived in St. Petersburg for a while, um, and then she had been an elementary school art teacher, a potter, and a bartender when she met David. David was a therapist, and Karen actually asked him out, and her friend said that they instantly had a connection. So nobody was shocked that they decided to move in together. So she was living with her friend Anita at the time, and she had begun the process, or was like mostly finished with the process of moving all of her stuff from her old apartment to the new home where she and David would live in Gulfport, which is like nine hours from us, for your information. Yeah. It's in the upper left. The, upper left. The upper left of the like <laughs> the Florida like whoop. It's in the upper left. It's in the panhandle. Is that the Yes. <laughs> to answer your question. I, yes. I'm gonna okay, you can it's cut this like out. Like a panhandle. You can cut this out. Because I thought that we were in the panhandle. Like that the bottom bit was the panhandle no. and the states was the pan. No. Okay. It's the top bit is it's the, that little strip that jets out ta- underneath like or underneath now that's I'm talking attached like you. to the it's south of like Alabama or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's why that's is the that panhandle. the panhandle? It should be like pot handle. Like, like the, the pot. pot. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's on the left, top left and the in the panhandle. Whatever. Stupid geography. <laughs> um, so she had an art degree and she was actually a graphic designer. She just gotten this new job in her New time. This is a time. This is a time of new stuff for Karen. Okay. On May twenty second, nineteen eighty four, David was out of town for a speaking engagement. He was in Rhode Island at the time, and Karen went out to dinner with a girlfriend. She got home sometime between midnight and one a.m. ish, right? Which it was so weird reading this case because I was like, that is like when I come home from going out with my girlfriends. When we just go to dinner and stuff, and then. I think they actually just had dinner at her friend's house and they sat and talked for hours and hours. Yeah. And then you come home and it's really late and the house is dark. And it was weird because I, when I wrote this case, like this part of it, I was at home after going out with a girlfriend. <laughs> it, I, I was very paranoid the rest of the night. Well, okay. I got to hear what else happens before I make okay. any assessments Fair on enough. that. So she gets home. She goes inside and um, around 1.15... Over 15 neighbors in the area heard a scream. However, nobody reported it in the moment. Oh. Included in these neighbors is the unofficial leader of a very active neighborhood watch. His name is George Lewis. He was home with his girlfriend, and their house sat diagonal or like catty-cornered from David and Karen's house. Okay. According to George, he was working in his garage with the door open and the radio on. 
He said he heard the scream and even described it as a faint scream. Well, yeah, that'd probably sound faint to him with stuff. He's yeah, working I mean, he's in the radio across the street, on right? And, yeah. So he he didn't do anything. He was a fireman and a trusted member of their community, and so he didn't think it was anything worth calling the police about. And I'll be honest, I hear screams in my neighborhood sometimes, but there's kids in my neighborhood and sometimes they're loud and they're rowdy and I yeah. will say I don't have it at one o'clock in the morning. It's always during I th- the day. Yeah, but. I think that makes the difference is the circumstances. Right. Well, on the next day, on the 23rd, another neighbor named Martha noticed that one of the back slash side doors of their home was like open slightly. It was a strange door. I don't remember what they're called, but it's like the whole thing is made of like blind glass paneling, like a... Like, like how window blinds are. So oh, you yeah, can yeah, open yeah. and close them to yes, see. Yes, out. yes, yeah. It starts with a J. The door type starts with a J. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about. And right. it's the same type of windows that um, they were very popular in like the 50s and 60s, I think, mm-hmm. for sunrooms. Right, They'd have exactly. those same type of windows. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So they had some of those. And so some of the ones on the bottom were broken and the door was kind of open. And she thought that was weird. But, like, it's not her business. And so she just noted it and went on with her day. Yeah. Um, And so a little while after that, closer to, like, dinner time, she noticed a man arriving at the home and he knocked on the door and nobody answered. And so he left a note on David's car. Later, the police would find this note and it read, Karen and David, hello, stopped by around 7.15 or so, but saw no signs of life. Many to do tonight, so I won't, I probably won't be back but I have something you wanted. We'll be home not too late. End quote. Signed, Peter. That's potentially, like, that's, yeah, <laughs> just weird. I mean, the no sign of life thing yeah. is really creepy, for sure. Yeah. Right. So, at this point, it's, like, late in the day on the 23rd, and David had been trying to reach Karen for quite some time, but to no avail. So, In the morning on Thursday the 24th, he tries to call her workplace and her boss is just like, no, she didn't come in yesterday and she hasn't come in this morning. And so he reached out to her sister and also Anita, her former roommate, and neither one of them had heard from her either. Yeah. So his next step was to call his neighbor, Amy, to see if Karen's car was in her driveway. Like... Okay, did she get into an accident on the way to work yesterday? Where did where 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 are we? Yeah. Yeah. So she pops her head out and she's like, "Yeah, her car is there." And so she, I don't know if he asked or she offered, but either way, Amy was going to go check and see if Karen was inside the house. Yeah. So, and like, I mean, if you think about it, she just moved into the house. She was supposed to be mo- unpacking boxes and stuff, so like she should have been either at work or at home with the phone nearby like there was it was just weird right so you know she went to the side door of the home noticed that it was kind of broken on the bottom but knocked um had no answer so then she went to the front door where she noticed some damage to the door itself which was odd but again nobody answered the door Hmm. so she made her way to a bedroom window And lying in sight of the bedroom window was the bottom half of Karen's lifeless body in a pool of blood. She immediately called police who dispatched to the scene. And I believe what happened is that she called David and said, I had to call the police. And either hung up or the phone line dropped or whatever. Or maybe she didn't want to tell him what she saw. But he ended up calling back to the home line inside the house. And when he called back, a police officer answered the phone. Yeah. And they told him what they saw at the scene. By the time that the police arrived, it had been over 31 hours since the scream in the night. They entered the home and approached Karen, and it was clear that she had been killed. At first, they were hoping she might still be alive, that she may have had a stroke or a seizure. Um, But it was really clear when they got closer that she had been stabbed several times, and unfortunately, her throat had also been slit. There were bloody handprints all over her body. They found a half of a bloody footprint in the bathroom, and the bottoms of Karen's feet were clean, so this had to be the print of a killer. Yeah. 
Another really odd piece to this puzzle was that she had a t-shirt on, but she, so she had on a t-shirt, right? But like over her t-shirt was lingerie. What? Right. So that was really strange. Like somebody put it on. Yeah. It was weird. So after the investigators took all the evidence that they needed from the crime scene, um, any sort of DNA that they could grab, you know, and and after Karen's body was removed, Anita, her kind ex-roommate, got permission and began to clean the home. She didn't want David to come home to a crime scene. Oh, I know. That's nice. I know. Eventually, it got to be too much for her, and she returned home to her apartment that she used to share with Karen and grieved the loss of one of her best friends. A few things that they discovered at the crime scene. Number one, nothing was knocked over. Everything seemed to be in pretty good order. Number two, they found the note that was left by Karen and David's friend, who turned out to be um, actually more Karen's friend than David. And the doors were locked. So that was weird. Yeah, killers usually aren't too worried about. Right, and even though Martha had previously noticed the back door was kind of open, you know, somebody went back and locked it. And eventually they they tracked down Peter, who left the note, Mm -hmm. and he said, no, the doors were locked. Like, the, the door was unlocked. Like, when I came and knocked on both doors, the door was unlocked, the side door. Uh, weird. Which, which to me just says that, like, it was unlocked and then somebody came and locked it. Yeah, but after the crime had been committed. Yeah, but who and what or is Peter just a really bad criminal? (laughs) (laughs) So they also noticed blood on the windowsill and the curtain leaving the home in a back bedroom. So they can assume that that's the window that the killer left out of. Instead of leaving through any of the front or the side door, he went out the back window. Okay. Okay. Now, for some reason, I don't know why. I couldn't find out why. I'm not going to say that it was because it was a bad call. I'm just saying I don't know why. But the police decided that there was no sign of forced entry. And so, and the fact that nothing was disturbed. And so Karen must have known her killer and allowed them entrance into the home. So they narrowed in on two suspects pretty quickly. David, her boyfriend, and Peter, who left them. Yeah. David. But there was the broken windows or the bottom of the You know, I'm I'm just the podcaster. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't know why or how or what or who. Okay. Um, now, David did have an alibi of being in Rhode Island. Yeah. <laughs> Most people, many people saw him there. There's a paper trail. The police actually tried to do the math. And apparently he could have left Rhode Island, come back, killed Karen, and then gone back. But there was only, like, one plane ticket, and also he had no motive to do that or why. He didn't do it. So they they cleared him pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, he began cooperating as much as possible to help investigators solve the crime. They asked him if he could take a look at the things left in their apartment and see if there was anything missing, anything valuable stolen. And he's like, I mean, she just moved in. <laughs> like, I don't really know what her stuff looks like yet. Yeah, she was literally unpacking. Unpacking. She didn't really know. He said, but the only thing I do know is missing is I bought her a piece of white lingerie, like a teddy lingerie piece, and it was white. The piece that she had on when they found her, I believe, was black. It was not the same thing. So now we have two pieces of lingerie-based evidence. (laughs) Lingerie-based evidence. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, they're not really sure where to go from there. That's just... They've got that in their pocket, I guess. That's something. Right. So Karen's autopsy comes back. And unfortunately, she was raped at some point during her attack. Her killer stabbed her 21 times in the neck and the head. The medical examiner determined that she fought due to the extensive defensive wounds on her hands. And due to the blood's excessive blood splatter in the hallway, the examiner would say that Karen's murderer had also bludgeoned her with some sort of blunt instrument. A rape kit did find DNA during the autopsy, but it was unusable. And even if it was usable, it was too long, like too far. Yeah. They wouldn't; it wouldn't have mattered. 
So the investigators and forensics look at the crime scene and they're able to create sort of a makeshift timeline of events that they think happened. So this is what the investigators think occurred. Okay. They think that whoever assaulted Karen came through her back bedroom window and began to rape her. During the rape that Karen ran, um, nearly making it to the porch or to the front door, shattering the glass, um, like as the attacker tries to pull her back inside. Oh, okay. They think that once he got her fully back in the home, he continued to assault her in the hallway before stabbing her and bashing her in the head. And the final thing would have been to slit her throat. Gotcha. The handprint found on her body, there were a couple, but the main one was also deemed unusable because of how long her body had sat in the Florida humidity. Um, the blood, like the, the ridges of a fingerprint in blood were damaged because of how humid the air is. So it wasn't readable. Yeah. Big, big sad. Yeah. So, Freaking Florida, man. Right, right. <laughs> Humidity ruins everything. Everything. Right. And again, I should clarify that, like, they haven't technically cleared Peter at this point, but he they didn't have proof either. Yeah. There was no usable evidence at the crime scene, um, a terrifying, gruesome slaying, and things sat for a little bit until before December of that year, which is 1984. The city of Gulfport held a farewell party for a bus driver who was leaving. Her name was Marjorie. I'm sorry. Her name was Marie. Okay. And Marie began telling a sergeant or somebody else at the party, you get different answers, uh, about the night of the murder. She lived two blocks away from the scene of the crime, and she swears up and down that she heard the scream. Wow. So despite whoever she told this to... It really struck a chord with an investigator, whether, whether they heard it over, you know, over the gossip or they she said it directly to them. Yeah. But they were just like two blocks away and George Lewis across the street called it a faint scream. So something's not really, the math isn't really adding up here. Yeah. So he said, you know what, let's talk to George again. He's our friend. Like we know him through, you know, he's a fireman. He's active with the neighborhood watch. Like I know this guy. Let's talk with him again and see if maybe Karen knew that guy too. Just George, just saying. So we'll we'll talk it over. So also, I forgot to mention this, and I'm going to mention it now because I just think that I, I just think it adds context to the story. Not context, but je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter was actually going home to I think Boston, and Anita was going to New York where Karen's funeral funeral was going to be held. Mm-hmm. And so she carpooled with him to Boston and then got, went to New York. And after she had gotten to New York, the police investigators called and were like, did you see Peter has a gash on his hand? Did you still see it when you were there? And she's at Karen's funeral when she realizes that Peter is a suspect and she had just spent several days in a car with him. Oh, my God. That would be so freaky. Yeah, I can't imagine. But he was cleared, so. So he set up an interview with George again, thinking like, okay, maybe his story is just a little weird or maybe we wrote it down weird or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But George never showed to the interview. So later in January, they convinced him to do a polygraph test. Once they got that going, it was really obvious pretty quickly that George was failing. George. He continued to describe the scream as faint. But now he was giving new information. Now he was saying that he had seen a tall man with red hair in Karen's front yard. Of course you blame a ginger. He was also ginger. Oh. Like strawberry blondish ginger. Why would you describe yourself going into <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, and he said, they were like, hey, hey, dude, you didn't mention that before. Why? And he said, uh, the guy knew where I lived. I was scared. I didn't say anything. So they were like, yeah, this this isn't right. So they were like, okay, let's uh let's test your night vision. Let's see what you can really see from your garage mm-hmm. at, at night. And yeah. so that's what they do. They go back to his house and they set up a little fake test and he can't identify any anything from where he was. He couldn't have seen anybody or 
Yeah. Say that they had red hair or anything like that. So they were basically like, so either you're lying or there was no man. Or. I was going to say, isn't that the same thing? No. Well, <laughs> I mean, lying. yes. Or he's misremembering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or he was closer to Karen's house than he said he was. Yeah. There were also some other conflicting statements that came out, including that he had said that he had actually not met Karen until she moved in. And then he said that he had actually never, he hadn't seen Karen that day at all. Um, But then later he was like, well, I did see her washing dishes in her kitchen window. Why are you looking in her kitchen window, George? You're asking all the right questions. You just don't even know it yet. <laughs> So Sergeant, his name was Sergeant Tosi. He continued to investigate and meet with George. And as he did, the stories kept changing. And eyewitness statements tend to change, but this was all just really shady. In March of 1985, George agreed to take a second polygraph test. This time he said that not only had he been in the driveway, not, it wasn't in his garage, he was in the driveway, at the end of the driveway. He had seen an intruder, but that he had also spoken with the guy. And he said that the man threatened to kill him if he told anyone he was there. <laughs> he he was lying. <laughs> I, I Yeah, that's just... Right. So the polygraph administer straight up said, like, did you kill or rape Karen? And he was like, no, I had no involvement. Uh, the test. And Maury Povich determined... That, too, was a lie. That, too, was a lie. Right. So I'm not sure where this fits into the timeline of the investigation, but at some point, the investigators start asking their neighbors if they've seen a red-headed prowler or creeper in their neighborhood. Because apparently, there's this red-headed man in her yard. And they were all like, yeah, it's our neighbor, George. Several of the women were like, yeah, they, yeah, there is. And then when they showed them pictures, they were like, it's George. The captain of our neighborhood watch is a peeping Tom. Oh, my God. He was watching women in their houses. And they, like, they and all like, knew they didn't, it? No, they didn't know it was they him. they pieced it together once his picture was right, in this exactly. lineup. Okay. They didn't know, and they had all brought it to him and said, like, there's, because he's, the, he's, like, the unofficial leader of the neighborhood watch. Oh. And so they're like, oh, my gosh, George, there's somebody peeping in our windows. And he's like, I'll take care of it. By looking in your window. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. That's so... George is also... I haven't even said this, but George is 22 years old at the time of the crime. He a youngin. I don't know why. I just expected him to be I older. Didn't, I didn't know he was that young until, like, I was halfway through researching. He was young. Wow. So, Yeah. Now we have a new piece of evidence. When all of this kind of starts coming together and they're like, oh, crap, this guy that we thought we knew, we thought was our friend, is really looking like he's really suspicious here. Somehow they got a copy of a footprint. I don't know how they got it, and that is important, but I don't know. Okay. Interesting. And they tested it against the partial footprint that they had from the crime scene. Yeah. And it was a match. It was a good match. There were 30 points matched. It was no doubt it was his footprint. But don't you worry. He has a story to explain why there was a bloody footprint in the bathroom that matched his foot. (laughs) (laughs) Now he did go into the house. He went to investigate after hearing the scream and he saw Karen lying in the hallway floor. But he only wanted to help her. And when he got close enough to see that her throat had been slit, he, like, panicked and ran into the bathroom. And then and then, and then he's the one that locked the door behind him. Well, no, keep- because the locked door didn't come into play until, like, a day and a half later. It was still unlocked on the 23rd. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, we really so don't have he answers. He went back to lock the door right. to just be a good neighbor. He's just being a good... <laughs> Neighborhood, neighborhood crime watch not, yeah. person. He's just trying Making to do his sure job. Making sure there's no burglaries, even though he's already seen her slain body. Yeah. I mean, he's just trying to keep her body safe until the boyfriend comes back. Right. right. 
So remember me saying that he said until he got close enough to see her throat was slit? Hmm. Well, I don't that like where that's going. That information wasn't public. <laughs> of course. Um, so even if his story were to be believed, they were like, liar, liar, pants on fire. Your butt burns. Get the slammer. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. I also think that we should mention that, again, he had told police that he had never met Karen until, like, the, like she, he just said he never met her, and then yeah. he changed it and said he had seen her. But previously, he had told a friend that he thought it would be nice to have an orgy with her. And David always thought that George kind of liked her. So they'd met, for sure. Because clearly, if you're fantasizing about having group sex with somebody, you've met them. I would... Hope. You've at least been in the same room with them. I would them hope. Up close. I would hope. If uh, not. Yeah, but you're also peeping Tom, so who right. knows? So who knows? Wild. They arrested him in 1986. Two years. Yeah, but when you think about like how they were, they were continuously investigating it for yeah. two years. It kind of, it's not that, I mean, it is, but it's not that yeah. crazy. Because I did see that a lot of the coverage of this case for the like the local coverage were like it took two years to arrest him, and I'm like, yeah, but you're not realizing that they are giving him polygraph tests. Like they gave him two over the span of like six months, and they're talking yeah. with him, and they had to track down Peter and clear Peter's alibis, and yeah, so true. They were doing stuff. So let's get into the trial, the burden of proof of it all. Mm. So they changed his venue from Pinellas County. To Polk County. <laughs> Good old Polk Good County. Good old Polk County. And if those of you who don't live in Florida, anytime I hear about Polk County, <laughs> I think about Sheriff Grady Judd, <laughs> who it, it was not him in the 80s, I don't think. But he is still, he is the current sheriff of uh, Polk County. And here's a, here's a, here's a quote. <laughs> I can assure you, if someone breaks into my home, I'm going to shoot them and I'm going to shoot them a lot. I'm going to shoot them so much you can read a newspaper through them. And that's my recommendation to other people. There is way worse. Way worse. Oh, Lord. There are way more quotes where that came from. But oh, Lord. that is where we are. I mean, Florida is the Wild West. <laughs> so. <Florida. yeah. laughs> God, I don't even know what to say. My husband sometimes has to work in Polk County. Yeah. And I'm always like. Please be careful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I Please Every time so I drive careful. through Polk County, I'm like, okay, what's the speed limit? Okay, what's the speed limit? <laughs> in fact, I recently said that to him. He found in the parking lot of a restaurant where he went to have lunch in, I believe, Bartow. Okay. Okay. So I forget. I often forget, like, the geography of it all, like where everything is. When oh, he, we when previously he, established I have no idea. Yeah, when it's <laughs> true. <laughs> Where's the um, panhandle? When he leaves. So when he's leaving for a project. So um I believe it was Bartow, Florida. He found a magnet that said, Follow me to the gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh picked it up in the parking lot and he sent me a picture of it. And he goes, I think I'm gonna put it on my truck on the way home. <laughs> And I was like, wait, where are you? Are you driving through Polk County? Because maybe don't. Because <laughs> please don't. And he wasn't, but I still was like, yeah, please don't. Because one of two things is going to happen. You're either probably going to get ran off the road, shot, yeah. or or somebody actually will follow you, you and home. they will be gravely disappointed. <laughs> yeah, to see your wife. Because <laughs> your husband's a good looking man. He could pull. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. We should clarify if you have, if we have any new listeners, we love the gays. Oh yeah, this isn't. Absolutely. This is not. This is this is. He the- kept the magnet. It's on his <gasps> toolbox in our garage. I lo- Wait, I just saw that the other day, and I thought it was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, maybe I'll post it if I remember on our Instagram story. I'll take a picture of it before I leave. Anyway, so. That's that's where we're at. So they left Pinellas County and moved this trial to Polk County. So there we Fun. are. 
There we are. Anyway. During the pretrial discovery, the defense found out how they got the footprint that they used to match him in the crime scene. Again, I don't know how they got it, but it must have been legal because they didn't try and argue that the evidence should be suppressed. From what I could see, it was kind of hard to find stuff. But from what I could tell, that was never an argument. What, What happened, though, was that he just admitted that he went in the house barefoot. <laughs> and he said that there was the reason he went to the bathroom was because when he had seen that she was dead, he went to the bathroom to throw up. Uh, okay. But that's really easy to prove because forensics was really thorough and they were like, no. No, you didn't. You didn't. That toilet was pristine. No vom. Yeah. No traces of any. So, and, like, also... And, like, if you're going to throw up from something like that... You're not going to make it to the bathroom. You're not going to hold your composure to make it to a toilet. Like, you're just going to vomit or pass out. Well, and he also said his story changed again at trial, and he said that there was some light in the bathroom that allowed him to observe the body from a distance. But then why (laughs) would your foot be wet with blood if you were in the... It doesn't make... The math doesn't... It doesn't... No. George. No, George. George. Stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking. And previously, when he was in the home, he had said, well, I wasn't able to see anything because it was dark. And the police, and that was part of the reason the police said that there was no, like, forced entry because it was pitch black in there in the middle of the night and nothing was knocked over. Yeah. So they were like, okay, it was probably somebody she knew. I don't know how they got to that logic, but they did. Anyway. Hmm. There were a couple witnesses in the trial, and the one that I think is the most interesting is a young woman named Tanya Deshone, or Deshone. Okay. Like I said, I didn't have any um, audio or visual media. <laughs> yeah, to know. So, you know, anyway. Uh, this was a former neighbor of Karen and of Georgia's, because they all lived in the same area. Yeah. According to Tanya, in 1984, she was 17, and she was involved in a sexual relationship with George, who was 22 and had gotten married right after the crime was committed so his girlfriend that he was living with her name was glenda they got married right after so he was having an affair with a 17 year old in his neighborhood wow okay now i should say i am 21 i will be 22 in four months i cannot imagine like well no don't get me started i know we shouldn't start about age differences with alicia but like i'm just saying I don't want to hear anybody say, well, he was only 22. No, that is disgusting. But he was 22. He wasn't a 22-year-old living with his parents. He was a 22-year-old firefighter living in his own place with a with a wife, girlfriend. With a wife. And then got married. Yes. Right. That's a whole different ballgame than a 22-year-old right. that's never left their parents' right. house that's just like a college student or mm-hmm. something like that. I am a 21-year-old who lives with my fiance. I've been on my own for a year now gross for tanya's birthday in the summer of 1984 george gave her a white lingerie outfit identical gross identical to the one taken from karen's crime scene it it was too big it was too big for tanya yeah because she's a girl (laughs) right but it was the right size to fit karen oh gross a second witness that testified was an EMT who trained George Lewis. So at least in Florida, I don't know if it was like this in the 80s, but I know it is now. You, In order to be a fireman, you also have to be an EMT. You have to have both yeah. certs. It's So anyway, the guy who trained him said that it was typical for emergency workers to panic in a situation and to not call 911 right away. Okay. So he thought like, I mean, it's feasible that George would have like seen her body, gotten sick and like walked away. For days? <laughs> well, and then, then the prosecution was like, well, is it customary for them to never report the emergency or just to, like, walk away and try and figure out, like, the yeah. panicking? And he was like, no, it's not normal. <laughs> like, they, he should have yeah. called and reported it. Yeah. So it was kind of a weird testimony, but I think when they're, like, in work mode, it makes sense for them to panic and then just like any other person. Well, and when they're in work mode, they are the... the yeah, exactly. The service... So, yes, it it makes sense that you get in the habit. It's an occupational hazard, if you will, that, like, you are so used to being the person that needs to 
handle the situation that even in your personal life, you will take pause and right. be like, what do I do? What do I do? But yeah, you don't walk away and leave it for days. Right. And you definitely don't come back and lock the doors. Yeah. <laughs> like, so anyway, it, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that Glenda Lewis testified as well. So she was, again, dating and living in his home at that point. Well, I don't know if it was his house, but they were living in this home together. Were, yeah. And she was asleep at one o'clock in the morning while her now husband worked in the garage. She woke up to the scream. He originally said it was faint, but loud enough to wake his wife. And went downstairs right away to check on her husband. Now, he was not in the garage. So she was worried because there was a scream. He's not there. Yeah. But she's like, it's normal for him to go help people and to like go see. He's no, like, oh, Glenda. And so she was like, I waited. And originally in her story to investigators, she said she waited over 30 minutes for him to come back. On the stand, she said she waited 10 minutes. And then what? She said he came back and she couldn't re remember if he was wearing any clothes when he returned, like if he was wearing a shirt or pants rather than shorts, like she couldn't remember what it was. George says he was wearing a long sleeve shirt that he stripped out of before coming inside because he had been working in the garage and it was gross. And then he came inside and he took a shower and then he went to bed. What I think is interesting is that she said 30 minutes over 30 minutes and now she's saying 10 minutes. Yes. Because the original timeline. Did she say married to this man? Do we know? I don't know. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. I don't know that how you would. Well, I mean, I do, but how you would research that but i uh, uh -huh. I, don't I, I don't want to shame glenda the glenda girl well i mean it's just and i also think that just the passage of time is weird sometimes too who knows yeah no but it i felt like see her... it and then she looked back at like oh i sent a text here well it was the 80s but like but also like that's why i said well then what did she do because oh i don't know what she was doing in the meantime now just I like don't know. Waiting. Just for me, if it were me, I guess I would still be nervous enough that if I heard a scream that woke me up and then my husband, boyfriend, whoever, my partner is gone from the house, right. him being a firefighter and her believing that, oh, he goes and helps people. Right. I might think like, oh, he ran off to like help exactly whoever screamed. But I'd at least be like looking out my windows, go out the front door and like look for him or look to see what's going well, I on. I think she did. But um, it's like, what is she going to see? They they were inside the home. Yeah. But then I would be questioning the crap out of. I Maybe it's just because I'm such a suspicious person. I think that what I read was that he came back and said, oh, I couldn't track it down. Like something like that. I don't yeah. know. But either way, that's what she testified and said. So a jury came back and they convicted him of first-degree murder and aggravated sexual battery. And there are so many questions in this case. The, the number one one being motive. Because the only thing we have to guess about is that he knew that David was going to be out of town. Mm -hmm. Went over with the intention of trying to get Karen to have consensual sex with him. Mm -hmm. And then it did not happen. Or he went over with the intention of raping and killing her. But the reality is we don't know. I mean, the other option is he had every intention of raping her. And it got out of hand. Hoping that she wouldn't know who it was. Right. That mm -hmm. it was dark, you know. Mm -hmm. It was dark. It was the middle of the... Et cetera. But I take that back because they determined that they believed that she knew the right. person. Well, that's so what they say. But I don't necessarily buy that. I don't. Yeah, if he did, in fact, because especially if he's a te a teeming palm, a, <laughs> a, pe a peeking Tom. Peeping. Peeping. Like, why can't I say <laughs> words today? Okay. Right. Like, he knew the layout of her house because he had been watching. It and if he's been there before or done, he could have done anything. How often do people check their windows? Right. And if he's been in the house, he could have unlocked a window. And been like, yeah, then I'll go see if it's uh, like, I'm just right. saying. There's just not a lot there's, of answers. There's ways that he could have gotten in. And then if he started to 
attack her, rape her, and then she figured out that it was him. Mm-hmm. Maybe his intention originally was not to kill her, but it turned out that way because mm-hmm. then he panicked thinking, well, I can't have you right. telling people it's me. I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm tracking. Crazy. Unfortunately, he still maintains his innocence and is actively working on trying to get out of prison. His appeal didn't go anywhere, but that did not stop him from trying. Some people really believe that he did not have enough evidence to be convicted. For a while, he was working with the Innocence Project. I am not sure if he still is. Oh, I thought that was interesting, too, because it's hard for me to think that they would work with him because, to me, the evidence looks really straightforward. So then I start to question, like, is there stuff we don't know? Yeah. It's really hard to tell. There's not a ton of coverage on this case. A lot of it is local coverage and not, you know, it's an interesting one, but I feel that he is guilty at this point. He was convicted. And I hope for the sake of Karen's family that they feel closure and that they feel comfortable in the verdict. That's all I'm going to say. You know? Sorry, I'm like trying to replay all the evidence that you talked right. about. So. I the just footprint the weird lingerie situation, the strange stories, yeah, all the yeah, failed yeah. polygraphs, the the different evidence. I mean, the different timelines. How the do different you explain? Story. How do you? How? That's just. And I will say, I did not find anywhere where they officially confirmed that the exact piece of lingerie that he gave to Tanya was the piece that David gave to Karen. Okay, and we're basing this on what. Tanya says or and I think there was somebody else who corroborated her story that she got it from him okay and that it was too big for her and that it looked used like I that there were not tags on it or something gotcha and it was a gift given to her after the murder yeah and there was lingerie on the body over a t-shirt over a t-shirt very sexy very strange very schmexy. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know what to say to I that. I don't That's either. Wild. It is absolutely bizarre. Um, but if you made it to this point in the episode, leave us a paint palette for our girl Karen, who was super artistic, and you'll be entered in to, to be on Sunday shout outs. Okay. Yes, yes. Cool. Now, what is this viral gone viral Karen? Yes. Business? So Karen's real name is Rosemary Hain, and she got the wrong burrito bowl <laughs> and was so angry that oh she God. got into a fight with the worker directly who was, she was talking to, and then she ended up throwing her hot food in the face of another employee. Another employee? Not the one Not she Not the yelling. one she was even in a fight with. Like, this woman came in to de-escalate. Oh, my God. Right. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, she is a very private, Rosemary is a very private person. She doesn't have any social media. She doesn't have any prior uh, criminal record. Do we know roughly how old she is? I'm sure somebody does. I don't, but I'm sure somebody does. I just say that because, listen, can we all, I, I, I highly doubt this is any of our listeners because I feel like anybody that's a true Karen would not enjoy this podcast but for the love of everything holy can can y'all stop I am a like basically middle-aged white woman yeah I don't know who why. is terrified to complain about legitimate things because like I notice when I go out play- and my kids notice when I go out places with my children to eat or to mm-hmm. stores or whatever, and I am even remotely like irritated because of a legitimate thing, but I'm still polite and courteous and I ask for it to be remedied. My kids even notice that like everybody is on the edge of their seat, like, oh no, she's gonna yell. Oh no, she's gonna. Right. Anyway. That's me whining because I'm tired of Karen's causing such a ruckus well, and chaos in the world yeah. that you can't even complain when it's a legitimate complaint. Yeah. Well, she was 39, so All right, I found see, the answer I for gave you. you the time. And would you like to guess what state this occurred in? Florida. Nope. Guess again. 
Hmm. Texas. Nope. Oh, dang. Ohio. Oh, my home state. It's, yeah. It was in, Par- it was in Parma. <laughs> oh, Parma. Yeah. So basically, like I said, she threw this food in the face of a worker and um, they pressed charges as they should. And a judge, Judge Timothy Gilligan, sentenced her to a choice of 90 day jail sentence or a 30 day jail sentence on top of working 60 days at a fast food restaurant. And that's what she chose. And that's what she chose. He said, do you want to walk in her shoes for two months and learn how you should treat people? Or do you want to do your jail time? And she said, I'd like to walk in her shoes. Well, good. And maybe mm-hmm. she's learning some humility. Right. So that's that. Or she's not. And she thinks, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it so good. I'll never get yelled at. I don't know. Good luck. So that is all that there is to that case. But I did want to talk about it because I had never, I mean, you that's hear. an interesting yeah, sentence. It yeah. is. But the judge was basically like, I'm tired of these cases coming up, so we're going to do something about it. We're going to change the change the way we're handling this. The other interesting part of that, as far as the law side goes, is how does that work? Like, do you just get some fast food place to agree? Like, why would they agree to let somebody work there that they know well, I doesn't would, really want to be there? I That's- would think what it would be it would be that she would serve 30 days in jail, and then she would just go on parole, and part of her parole would be having to find a fast food job yeah and then if she doesn't do that then she's in violation and then she can go back to jail to serve her full sentence i don't have that's not i didn't read that anywhere yeah that makes sense though but then now it's so public who's gonna oh he asked he asked a manager and they said yeah i mean we have no i don't think that anybody's gonna have a hard time hiring her because they're gonna see that this is what she needs yeah yeah come on so but the judge did find somebody and ask them like do you think she'll have a problem getting hired they're like no well, yeah, because it's always, they're always desperate for people. Yep. Because nobody wants to work fast food. Yeah. Because of people like her. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway. Fun. That's well, that this week for you. Yes. And again, sorry that that happened like three weeks ago, but we record in advance. So you get it now. Yeah. Woo woo. All right. Well. Well, until next time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Till next time. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.